Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Got Guts, a podcast of the American Journal of Physiology, Gastrointestinal and Liver Physiology. Joining us today are Editor-in-Chief, Professor Mark Fry, and authors Dr. Wa Jun and Dr. Robert Chapkin of the recently published manuscript titled Loss of Aryl Hydrocarbon Receptor Suppresses the Response of Colonic Epithelial Cells to IL-22 Signaling by Upregulating SOX-3. So let's talk guts. Over to you, Professor Fry. Great. Thank you, Jamie, and good afternoon, everyone. I'm really pleased to have you here with us this afternoon. As you know, this podcast from the journal is meant to both raise awareness of terrific new articles that we've published and also build a sense of community for the AJP GI liver research section and really introduce people to the people behind the work. Let us know a little bit about the investigators and what makes them tick. But since you are both scientists, I know we all love to talk about our work. So why don't we start out with that? you want to maybe give me the elevator pitch for your paper and, you know, give me the calling card for it that makes all of our listeners want to hit pause and run out and read the paper right away before they listen to the rest of this. Yeah, well, our lab first got interested in the aryl hydrocarbon receptor. It has a long history in terms of toxicology and all kinds of bad things that happens to cells. Um, But there was a, a slow creep in the literature 10, 15, at least a decade ago that showed that the microbiome in the gut, of course, can produce Mm -hmm. ligands that are the substrates come from the diet are further metabolized by the microbes. And then these ligands or small molecules, tryptophan like molecules are Mm -hmm. actually weak ligands for a nuclear receptor called the aryl hydrocarbon receptor, which was They never knew what the natural ligands were for. Only dioxin was a ligand, but that's a synthetic made by man. And you'd wonder, why do we have a receptor for it? Probably probably didn't evolve that receptor specifically to recognize dioxin. Yeah, exactly. And of course, people work, I'm digressing a bit here, but people who work uh, in the therapeutics field really look for high affinity ligands whenever they look for Mm -hmm. uh, a target. But in nature, there are a lot of low affinity ligands that are in high abundance. Uh, And it turns out that the dogma analysis shows that this receptor is a target for them and can be manipulated by diet and microbial interaction, all within the context of the gut. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. we wanted to find out, so what does AHR do in the gut? People have studied it in immune cells to some degree, but uh, Hua Jun, a former graduate student in the lab, now Dr. Han at... uh, Cornell Medical School in New York City has uh, uh, focused on really what is the role of AHR in intestinal stem cells, because Mm -hmm. stemness is of great interest for all those interested in homeostasis of the gut. And I am a cancer biologist, and there's an awful lot of interest in stemness and cancer biology. So we decided to generate a bunch of mice that had the stem cell AHR knocked out, and we used selective ligands, all of these tools, and Wajun can elaborate on some of them, and and basically found out that AHR is a good guy in most contexts in the gut, that it suppresses tumor genesis, some of his other work, and that uh, these ligands are basically, that activate AHR are basically playing into a favorable biological mindset. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as he explored it more and more, uh, he, he got more interested in, in how does AHR actually function and what are its targets within the context 
of the colonic stem cell. And he's used a whole variety of models. In this paper, he uses the, the mouse colonic organoid and of course, mm -hmm. different wild type of knockout mice. But he's also done work in human organoids of, from, the, from the gut and, and a lot of cell lines, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. So within all that context, he reports in this paper some novel engagement between AHR and its crosstalk with IL-22 and intestinal people like IL-22. It clearly <laughs> does a lot of interesting things in terms of homeostasis. It's generally considered to be anti-inflammatory, but before Hua Jun came along, there really was no clear context or communication network between the two. And his paper really right, right. nicely integrates that and I believe has scratched open a new story that uh, may have relevance to both the cancer biology field, the inflammation field, and, and, and just general developmental biology of the gut. Mm -hmm. That's terrific. That's a great overview. Hwajun, do you have any, any details you want to dive into now that you've got that scaffold? Okay. I just like, uh, because they, why I just uh, um, very interested in studying the HR singling, just like uh, unregulating the interleukin-22 cell singling, is that because they, in the uh, previous study, the most studies focus on uh, how HR singling regulates the interleukin-22 production mm -hmm. in immune cells. And also the interleukin-22 cell singling is different from other cytokines because it only acts as lung immune cells, for example, epithelium mm -hmm. cells. So I just wondering whether just the HR singling can also regulate the response of epithelium cells to the, to the interleukin-22, which is kind of the target of interleukin-22 cell singling. Right, right, yeah, terrific. And, and I really do think that, I, I think as Rob says, you, you've uncovered another example of something really important that we've started to recognize in the last decade or so, which is that, that there are so many molecules out there that have been viewed as bad guy actors because we've studied them at super physiological levels. It's hard to imagine that the organism was, would have evolved receptors or ligands that are designed to do bad things to the host. That just doesn't make any sense, right? And yet we've studied so many things at these super physiological levels that that then leads to them being viewed as bad guys, to, to use Rob's term. And I, I think it's important to be able to recognize things. And, and this opens a lot of opportunity for, for trying to identify the, the positive effects of things like the aryl hydrocarbon receptor. You know, we, we went through this same story in the TNF receptor world as well. Uh, we went through the same story in the EGF receptor world. One of the things that sometimes is different in those different settings then is that sometimes the hyperactivation with something in the, I guess, in the, the hyperligation versus the endogenous signaling. Are you seeing a difference in type or just a difference in degree of the, uh, of the signaling downstream of the receptor with, with the, the low affinity endogenous ligands versus poisonous one? What do you, what do you think's going on there? I'm getting a very puzzled look from Rob, so maybe the question doesn't actually make sense. No, no, it, well, it, it, it's, it's, it's a good question. It's really the difference between chronic activation, mm -hmm. chronic signaling versus transient right. signaling. And that's what the weak ligands are doing. They're popping on and off the receptor. And as a result, you know, the, like I can use the doorbell analysis, the mm -hmm. analogy, the doorbell is only ringing intermittently and the person in the house is not getting annoyed. You know, but when the doorbell is ringing nonstop, like when you have a very strong binding, I mean, binding for, mm -hmm. for 
I guess, days. I, I don't think it actually pops off. Uh, dioxin, for example. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, not, 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 a, certainly not a biochemical time frame. It doesn't. Yeah, it's, and so, so I, I'm, I, we didn't study that di that dichotomy so much mm -hmm. in uh, in Hua Jun's uh, studies, but we're we're well aware of it. Uh, and the dogma is generally that the chronicity of the signal is what is causing the pathology. Uh, the receptor is being dramatically downregulate. You know, it's trying to downregulate as as aggressively as it can, and it's struggling mm -hmm. to do so uh, because the ligand just is never kicking out in right. within the right. reasonable period of time, and and that's why that's why the receptor sort of took on the axis of evil originally, only to to find out, like you said, it it, it was just a fluke that man created such a ligand, mm -hmm. and and it really poisoned our mind as to what is the function of it, even though people who understand, you know, basic biology knew that it was an orphan receptor and we haven't identified what its actual mm -hmm. ligands are. So therefore we can't really understand what it does until we can elucidate some of that. Yeah. And, yeah. and fortunately the field started to move quickly forward in that area, but they were leaving stem cells behind when they did it. And they were they were naturally infatuated with a lot of the immune system and the innate mm -hmm. immune lymphoid cells, T cells, macrophages, which are clearly very relevant, but they have different engagement with the receptor and their gene regulation and roles are very different. Yeah, so absolutely. That's sort of where we came in mm -hmm. really with a very specific question. And so uh, we, we inherited that mindset, but we didn't really probe it that carefully. That's fair. You, I mean, there's a lot. There's already a lot in that paper. You can only do so much. So, well, so Hwajun, you've moved to onto Cornell. What are you working on now? Oh, oh, sorry, I did a correct that. I just moved to the uh, Mount Sinai Hospital. Oh, Mount Sinai. Okay. Um, currently, I just also I just joined this lab, and uh, right now I'm just working on um. But still, just like uh, uh, negotiate the just a uh, project. Uh, but the tentatively, I will look at uh, how some of this regulation uh, in just like fibroblasts will contribute mm -hmm. to just like uh, Crohn diseases, especially okay. for the structure just like uh, mm -hmm. uh, diseases. That's uh, that's terrific. I mean, that's you know, uh, we 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 know they're important, but they're mostly a black box up until now. So that's that's a that's a I think that's a wide open field for you. That's great. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good. Outstanding. And how do you like New York? Um, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, because yeah, right now just uh, the place because it's in the middle middle um, upper east, so it's pretty just convenient to uh, mm -hmm. go outside. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> okay, good, good. Well, what's your favorite thing you've eaten in New York City? That that's one of the things they're famous for is that all of the food, right? Wow. Um, right now because I just moved to here only just three weeks, so I have no just like a um, more time to just uh, um. <laughs> Still around, so <laughs> I will just explore more. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. So, so Rob, tell me, uh, how did you get into science, and what brought you to the GI track? Um, oh boy, getting me into science—that's that is a uh, that's that. Uh, well, it, I'll tell you just a funny story, and you can edit it out if you want to, uh, very briefly. <laughs> but uh, I was a hockey player, and still still am ice hockey. Uh, growing up in Canada, mm. and I. I uh, was finishing up my Bachelor of Science and 
because I was a hockey player, I was wearing a hockey jacket and a professor noticed me and apparently he had an affinity for hockey players. Like he, he liked, okay. he had something in common. So he said, do you want to, do you want to go to graduate school? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and I said, uh, well, uh, tell me about it. I really, you know, don't know much about it. You know, there were very different times uh, mm-hmm. back. That was in 1981, you mm-hmm. know, so that was a long enough ago when I tell students in the class, they look at me like, I wasn't born yet, man. So, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, but but basically, that relationship blossomed, and then you know, I found out I, I was a smart hockey player. In other words, you know, mm-hmm. I was had a good GPA, and I did well in uh, hadn't, my hadn't been hitting the head too many year. times playing hockey yet. Yeah, well, I I am probably getting a little bashed. Uh, uh, <laughs> it, it accumulates over time, as we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, he through, through that serendipitous relationship, mm-hmm. I got dragged in to do a master of science, which just sort of wet my appetite. And then mm-hmm. then I went on to do a PhD at University of California, but. But it was pure serendipity. That's mm-hmm. how ill-planned my life was. And I just met a wonderful human being who was interested in reaching out to, I guess, students who had potential but didn't really know what mm-hmm. research was all about. And all mm-hmm. these years later, I can look back and just laugh at that and say, you know, I mean, what a ridiculous way <laughs> to take a, you know, a trajectory through life. And, uh, and I began to learn about you know, critical thinking skills and things that were sort of under the surface, but we're beginning to blossom. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what that's what sent me and, and and how I got into the gut. I actually did my PhD in in the in skin epidermis mm-hmm. and the biochemistry of epiderm uh, of the skin working in eicosanoids and other biology mm-hmm. that were mm-hmm. blossoming back then. And I didn't want to compete with my major professor who was a wonderful human being. So I just moved to another part of the epithelium, which right, was right. the gut, right? Different, a different part of the outside of the body. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so I stand by that choice today. <laughs> Outstanding. Outstanding. You know, and and I actually think it's as as we talk to people about this in these podcasts, I think you'd be surprised to discover just how many people have sort of, I don't want to say random, but unusual and serendipitous stories like the one you've had, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> which I think is important for trainees in the field to understand, right, that many of us sitting in our offices writing grants right now, maybe didn't start out to do this. And so it's okay if there are detours or strange turns in your career. You know, it's, it's, as long as you're continuing to do work that you enjoy and you're good at it, I think it makes sense. How about you, Hwajun? What, what got you interested in science and how, how did you end up in Rob's lab in the first place? Yeah, I, um, because in the, uh, originally I pretty interested in the uh, uh, cancer study just uh, mm-hmm. when I joined Texas A&M University for PhD studies. I first, I did uh, uh, three lab rotations and uh, uh, I just, uh, yeah, based on just like uh, the, the three lab rotations, I just found that uh, Dr. Chapkins just like the most that fit my interest because mm-hmm. I'm pretty interested in the just like a uh, 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 cancer study. And uh, Dr. Chapkins lab also use a variety of just methods and uh, uh, technicals to approach very fantastic just like studies. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like, yeah, I, I think right now I also just feel very thankful for uh, Dr. Chapkins just like uh, you know, training and uh, exercise just like uh, to train me just like, mm, I, I just very benefit for just like uh, Dr. Chapkins training. 
I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess he must really think that because he's already moved on, so he doesn't have to say that anymore. It's just... <laughs> 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 Bill, I just say that. Like, hundred miles away. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel think that as a PhD supervisor, I think definitely will just like uh, have mm -hmm. a big Im uh, impact on my just uh, uh, career trajectory. A good PhD advisor can make all the difference. It really can. So you've, yeah. I think you, you got, you got, well, I would say you got lucky there, but I, but you chose him because of rotation. So that's good. I was just going to be very disappointed if it turned out that you played hockey as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a prerequisite to join so, my lab. Oh, okay. Fair I, enough. Fair enough. So, so Hwajun, when you're not in the lab, what's your favorite thing to do? Um, I pretty into just enjoy cooking and also ah. I also um, spend the if I have kind of very long time I will maybe uh, ask my friends to go to go hiking. Okay. okay. Yeah, I pretty in, uh, enjoy just like the, the national uh, things. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Cooking and hiking, great. That's yeah. great. Great. And is there is there anything besides hockey for you, Rob? I, I play a lot of table. I used to play a lot of table tennis. I, huh. I have a table in my house, but I can't find enough people to play with. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I, I admit that one of the strange things of science is I've become a little siloed, probably like many scientists. Yeah. And I, I don't, I, I mean, I probably should admit this, but I don't live as rich and diverse a life as maybe some of some other people do. I, I find that I'm in the office seven days a week <laughs> and I'm, uh, you know, but I, but I, I, I do a lot of exercise and I like to read, especially newspapers to try to keep up mm -hmm. on worldly events and, mm -hmm. and basically uh, try to make the world a better place any way I can. Oh, that's great. That's good. And what, you know, I, I, I mean, you just told me you don't get out of the office much, but you know, what, what does one do in college station if one leaves the office? Like, is there... Are there characteristic things that folks do down there? there of course, because we're a huge campus, like with 70,000 mm -hmm. plus students, yeah. there are multiple places to eat. So if you okay. are a diner of sorts, it's not New York City in terms of fabulous gourmet, mm -hmm. but it is a fast food haven. And there are some, <laughs> you know, there are some obvious uh, quality places here because we're really not part of Texas here. We're kind of an, an artificial enclave with a lot mm -hmm. of foreign nationals like me who somehow right. migrated right. to the middle of Texas. Uh, and, uh, and and like Hua Jun, all the way from rural China, mm -hmm. somehow ended up in College Station, Texas, mm -hmm. and the both of us joined up, you know, and that was, that's separated by many thousands of miles and different <laughs> cultures, everything. And yet we all speak the, the language of science. Mm -hmm. and, we communicated and excelled together. And Hua Jun is a, a part of a, many great students that I've had who have just had a natural curiosity that has uh, really blossomed into mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, that creative side to science where they start asking some yeah. very novel questions. And I said to him in this case, because uh, this was entirely his thought process. And I mm -hmm. said, just go for it, man. Let's see what you get. You know, that sounds kind of corny, but in this case, uh, you know, because he was working on several different other uh, AHR related projects. And mm -hmm. this one finally came into focus. And he said, yeah, I found some really interesting stuff. And I said, keep doing it. And go for again, it. Yeah. Charlie, <laughs> to his credit, he, he, he made what we think is a, a and you obviously thought the same, a, a very interesting uh, piece of data that, mm -hmm. that is just beginning to ask some, some different questions. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's great. That's, and, and so what do you think is next in this, you know, for, for AHR signaling in the stem cell niche? Like what, where do you predict that sort of piece of the field is going to go in the next few years with, you know, without giving away the, the aims of your next grant application? <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm actually my digressing now. I should say that a wonderful collaborator in all this has been um, Dr. Stephen Safe. Mm -hmm. And Steve is a chemist by training, but has worked in the toxicology field for many years and came across AHR through dioxin. Mm -hmm. He used to synthesize it, you know, so he was the mm -hmm. most polluted mm -hmm. lab in the, in the building. <laughs> kind of thing. He must have and very good DNA repair because so, he's still yeah. alive. <laughs> Which to is, sign all kinds of waivers just to walk in the building. Yeah, well, he always tells me back in his day, uh, they didn't have near the safeguards that they do today, which which is interesting. But but in collaboration with him, we are also looking at other nuclear receptors mm -hmm. that are apparently cross-talking with AHR. And now we're looking at ligands that might actually be a dual ligands that are transactivating or transrepressing mm -hmm. these, uh, you know, which to shows you in a, in a monolithic way of thinking, it's not always about just one receptor, right. that there are right. families right. of them that are interacting in very complex ways. And to write a grant like that, you could imagine how, how challenging it is, because <laughs> that creates so many permutations right. that it's difficult right. to defend yourself uh, uh, from somebody who's heaving a bomb your way. And, the, and you say, you uh, but again, it comes down to my primary interest. How can we use diet to mm -hmm. modulate this signaling? Because mm -hmm. I, I agree, there's the therapeutic world, God bless it and all that. But therapeutics are not going to seal the deal because we just can't cover the costs and get right. people enough access. So can we also lean in on that and say there are yes, some nutritional components that interact with the microbiome in complex ways. And maybe we can obtain uh, a feasibility there that is sustainable. And, and, and the most important thing that I'll tell you today is eat more fiber, you know, because <laughs> that's affecting the microbiome. You, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, you read the literature now, what are all the therapeutic people doing with immunotherapy? They're actually pre-treating mm -hmm. subjects with, with different fiber. types of diets to make the therapeutic more efficacious. And it's all happening through the microbiome. Mm -hmm. and we're seeing mm -hmm. papers in science and other places, and I'm sure they would have laughed you out of study section five years ago. And now <laughs> these people look like geniuses just because they're thinking like nutritionists. Right. And, right. and, I, and I say, you know, and what we now appreciate more, of course, some of the mechanisms that are in place. So it's not pure phenomenology. And that's where mm -hmm. people like Hua Jun's work has been invaluable because it shed light on some of the, you know, interactions that are taking place, you know, so AHR is working through SOX3, which is inhibiting STAT3, you mm -hmm. know, and when mm -hmm. you start having that sort of accumulation of knowledge, you begin to say, this must be believable. I mean, it's right. just right. It's not right. a fluke. I it's understand not, some of it. So, yeah, it's not. It's not imaginary. There's an actual pathway involved. Yeah, absolutely. Because in the end, that's what we're all about. We really are about structure, function, and mm -hmm. understanding mechanisms. And uh, we, my lab, we just use a lot of diet as mm -hmm. the initial perturb perturbation that is driving the downstream events. And uh, stem cells. Now we know we were one of the first to show are exquisitely sensitive to nutritional cues in mm -hmm. the gut. Mm -hmm. 
And that just really which, wasn't appreciated before. Which makes perfect sense in retrospect, right? You know, that's they're they're controlling the rate of turnover. They're controlling the the buildup of the architecture. Why wouldn't they be? But you're you're right. It was it was something people just were willfully ignoring for a very long time. So good on you for getting that work done. <laughs> we're trying our best. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, it's been a lot of fun talking to you guys. You have some great stories to tell. Uh, and I, I really, again, congratulate you on the terrific work that you, uh, and thank you for sending it to the journal, by the way. I, I always, uh, I like to remind authors that we enjoy getting great papers from you as, as much as you enjoy getting them published. So thank you for that. Um, we'll just wrap up then with, uh, we, we always, uh, we, we always do a quick fill in the blank round, stealing blatantly from NPR at the end of, uh, end of every interview. So, Hua Jun, uh, so fill in the blank. Blank is the best comfort food to eat after a terrible review on a grant or a paper. Oh, maybe just like a very spicy food. <laughs> spicy food. Okay, yeah. great. There's the, there's the Texas influence again. Um, <laughs> and then, Rob, blank is a current trend in science that I just wish would go away. Ooh trend in science that would just go away. Oh, that's got me pigeonholed. Uh, <laughs> some, that's something undesirable in science. Yeah, I, I'm usually very impressed with science and scientists. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's the lay public that I have more problems <laughs> with. <laughs> All right, that's fair. So, so maybe misunderstanding of science. How about we go yeah, with that? Right. Okay. The way, way people get confused when scientists talk Mm -hmm. because they don't understand the data is changing. Right. Okay. And then finally, uh, just for Jamie's benefit, because she likes to ask this one, uh, Rob, cats or dogs? Dogs with me. All right. Hwajun, what about you? Cats or dogs? Dog. Yeah. Sorry, Jamie, you're outnumbered three to one. (laughs) 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 It's all dog people here. Oh, no. I don't own a dog now, but I used to have a great Dane. Oh man! Well, that's 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 a whole lifetime of dog in 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 a, in a decade and change, yeah, right? That's so. what I read Marmaduke, <laughs> <laughs> and it resonates with you. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, terrific! It's been great talking to, to both of you. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I look forward to seeing more work from from both of you at uh, at AJPGI. Well, thank you. It's cool. it's a pleasure, and we're both thrilled that. The journal uh, really liked the paper, and I like AJP and all of your journals. I, I find your reviews are are really very solid mm-hmm. and 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 constructive generally, and you know that's right. why we, I joined we, your yeah. society. I, I really feel that it's 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 a warmer, nicer place to mm. you know um, to interact, and yet very diverse. And uh, mm-hmm. you have so many journals and focal mm-hmm. planes. So uh, I, I I appreciate AJP. Awesome, great. All right. Well, have a great day, guys. Thank you. Good good to see you. Take care, everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. This podcast was brought to you by the American Journal of Physiology, Gastrointestinal, and Liver Physiology, and produced by me, Jamie Jones. If you would like to hear our latest episodes, please visit the AJP GI and Liver Physiology's homepage.